All right, we are back with another installment of Accepting the Challenges here where we want to shine a light and give some spotlight, if you will, um, to different folks all across the education spectrum from superintendents to principals to teachers to counselors to people in the education business. And today's guest kind of fits a little bit of all of that, uh, a very unique uh, background and a, almost a flip flop of, of mm -hmm. what we're signing, what we're seeing a little bit um, in the um, uh, turnover, uh, whereas we might have some teachers who have been teaching for 10, 15 years, and then deciding to get out and go into the business world or going to the private world. She's actually done the opposite. So um, today's guest is Jenny Schmidt. And uh, Jenny, if you will, um, introduce yourself a little bit and, and maybe talk a little bit about your journey and kind of where you grew up, how you started, and then kind of how that led you into education. Oh, okay. That could take up the whole hour, but I'll try to, We've got I'll try time. to make don't, it don't worry about the time constraint. We can go for as long as we need to. Okay. All right. So I was a, my father was a fighter pilot in the United States Air Force. So I grew up in a military family. We moved every three years. I think I was exposed to a lot of different educational <laughs> um, styles uh, simply from having moved so much. But I actually started my career in sports marketing. I actually worked for the Olympic movement for a long time. And then I went on to work for an NBA team and knew I wanted to be in business, knew I wanted to do things, you know, in the business world, had a real acumen for that, a real mind for that. But what happened was over my career, and so I, I built a career, I left sports, I entered into healthcare marketing and communications, stayed in the corporate world for a while. And then I thought a lot like you, you know, I started my own business. I was like, I need to work for myself. I need to do this for myself. And I had a very successful company, um, in my eyes, very successful, uh, but a successful company. And then we made the decision, our family, my husband and our two daughters to move to California for a job opportunity for him. And so I, I closed down my company. I actually sold off my assets and closed my company and moved to California. And I thought, okay, this is Silicon Valley, plenty of marketing opportunities here, plenty of communication opportunities, but everything I kept looking for Shane was, I don't know. It, it felt like it was a pull away from anything passionate for me, a pull from anything exciting. And there's exciting things happening here in Silicon Valley, but it just wasn't resonating with me. And so I took time and I thought, okay, what's going on here? And what I found was that I really, what I enjoyed most about my job was the sense where I was teaching or training people, or I was helping clients learn things. And I found myself saying, okay, well, I'm also seeing with my young employees that I had, that they weren't coming in with the educational skills that I needed. You know, they thought that Google was a primary source and I had, to, you know, are, are helping them to write basic things. And I thought to myself, putting all of this together, and this is a very, I probably took six months of this, of really trying to decide. And I think trying to accept the challenge really of saying, I think I want to teach. And I think I want to teach younger students, you know, not not at the college level, but I wanted to be in the either primary or secondary level. I know, like, I know, I think your wife actually teaches one of the younger grades. Yes. So she's in middle school. So she teaches okay. um, middle school okay. um, special education. Okay. So I'm in middle school as where I landed. And uh, 
I made that decision. I made this kind of leap of faith of saying this pulls from the best of my skills, but I want to give back. I don't want to be marketing another product to, while it's exciting, I think that excitement had left me. And I really found myself wanting to give back and invest and have my work have more meaning than what it did before. Not that, not that my work in corporate land didn't have meaning, but I think it's very different. Let's say when you're building a fan base for a sports team, as opposed to educating and really lighting up a child's mind with the possibility of, wow. So that's, that's a very compressed version of that, but more than 20 years in the business world, flip that over. And, you know, I, I, you know, I'm a late career changing, you know, professional who's changed. And I, I didn't just shift from a small career into a related career. This was really kind of a 180 for me. And it is very different because you see a lot of teachers getting out now and going into instructional design or consultants for companies. And I was like, I want to be with students. I want to be in the thick of it. So that was the romantic notion, right? Of I'll go into a classroom and teach. And then the reality of the work it's beautiful and it's amazing and it's challenging and it is a heck of a lot of work. It is a heck of a lot of work. Absolutely. Um, we have, we have a, um, one of our interviews coming up. Um, I did with a, um, uh, he's a Colonel or was a Colonel in the military and Mm -hmm. retired 30 years. And now he's gotten into teaching and, and, and on there he says, he's like, look, um, you know, being in a war zone physically is harder than teaching mentally teaching is way harder mentally than, than being in the military. And he said, he's had days where he's had to close the door and sit down and have a good man cry and, and let it go. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think, I think that's where, um, teaching is so like, cause I, I think maybe the word you were, you were looking for when you were trying to describe, when, I know you said it, 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 it something that means more is it, teaching is a very altruistic thing, right? Like it it is, um, uh, most teachers are very servant oriented. They, you know, they, they, they want to, um, you know, they want to help. They, they, you know, they actively want to, uh, I think, I mean, I don't know, this may come off to some people wrong, but I think that's why a lot of females are very successful, um, in it because they have that motherly instinct. They have that, that want to that, that willing to sacrifice um, and put their own women are way better than men at putting their mm-hmm. own emotions and different things aside and not allowing it to influence or affect, um, you know, what they're doing. And you have to do that as a teacher because you're going to deal with some things that you don't know are coming and you got to keep, mm-hmm. a, you got to keep a face and, you know, you've got to attack uh, you know, mm-hmm. those, those challenges that come to you. What, what NBA team did you work? Did you work with? I worked for the Atlanta Hawks in the days of Dikembe Mutombo and Steve Smith and the guys back then. So, you know, the whole finger wagging, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. with Dikembe. So that was fun. You know, it was, it was absolutely fantastic. I enjoyed my time in sports marketing. Um, it's a very different experience behind the scenes of it, sure. but it certainly was. And my job was, aside from the game operation side was building youth fan base, you know, so that was awesome. So you were, so you were, you were still impacting, um, you know, Mm -hmm. from a, from a social aspect, um, Mm -hmm. impacting, um, the youth, very, very different demographic in Atlanta. um, Yes. Than than what you're, what you deal with now in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. Um, 
tell me what your experience is like for you moving to Silicon Valley and and, and what that's been like. That's a great, that's a, a great question. California is very different. So I think we, you know, I, I grew up mostly in the South. Like I said, my dad was in the military, so we've lived all over the place, but I had been in Atlanta for more than, more than 20 years when we made the decision to move. And so it's, it's, it's definitely a culture shock coming here. I think, uh, you know, the South were, were is just you, a friendly. I would say, were you, yeah. were you coming in more socially conservative into that or was it now all of a sudden it's like, Oh, I need to adjust. And uh, I would oh, say I'm more socially conservative than most of California, but that's not saying a lot because California really is kind of on the extreme. Sure. Um, I don't like saying that because I, people don't like to hear that they're on the extreme, but it is a, a well, yeah, incredibly I mean, um, progressive uh, place to live. And it's not necessarily always progressive in a good way. Sure. Um, I, I think a lot of times it's a rush to react here to whatever's happening culturally to appear to be moving at one step ahead of wherever that yeah. movement is. And so I would say, I would say we were more socially conservative um, then, but I think that's pretty easy anywhere you would go in California. Sure. But, but California in general, it's a gorgeous state. I mean, it's an absolutely gorgeous state, but it's a very different vibe out here than it is in the South. And so I think we had a little bit of adjustment issue of, you know, you know, you're walking along, you know, in your neighborhood, you say hello, good morning, and people kind of look at you like, I don't know you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So why it's just a different vibe. Yeah. Why are you talking to me? But it's been a really interesting shift here to bring what I think I always tell people I'm a Southerner in Silicon Valley because I bring that and I, I haven't made myself a chameleon to being here. It's like, no, this is who I am. And so bringing that like, hey, you know, we we hug and we, we say hello to each other when you don't know sure. each other and you hold the door open. I mean, even those common little things that you think are common are not common really outside of the South. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So kind of going back to your journey, was mm -hmm. there, was there, do you think you've always had something in you to want to be a teacher or is it something that just developed as you kind of went through your career and you wanted to, there was a, a thirst, if you will, that you wanted to quench and, and you, and you weren't getting it, um, mm -hmm. you know, where you were at. I think it developed over my career. I don't remember ever as a child saying I wanted to be a teacher, but I wasn't exactly a good student. Sure, I can relate. <laughs> I was, you know, I think I was a, probably, you know, a little ADD. I was the kid always talking and acting up in class. And uh, I was a jokester as well sometimes. But the funny thing is now I get to talk all the time in class. Sure. But I think it developed over my career. I think the first hints of it came when I was interacting with young people. Um, and then I had started doing more training and I started doing more having to teach on that side of it. And I really connected with me. Like I found myself coming home from those moments and feeling the energy and feeling the vibe. So I think there were small hints along the way in my career. And so has there always been something inside of me? Probably. And I just didn't acknowledge it until later. But it was a very radical idea in my mind to say, I'm going to leave corporate world to go be a teacher. I mean, that's a huge professional shift. And we've talked about this a little bit, Shay, but the, the respect of teachers or the, you know, like you're at a dinner party and you meet someone who says, you know, I work in corporate marketing versus I work, I'm a teacher. 
there's a very different reaction you get from people. And so that was a big shift in my own mind that I'm shifting to, you know, be a teacher and I make what I made in my twenties. You know, I don't, I don't pull a big salary. I don't have a huge sway and influence. I don't have the latest campaign to talk about. Instead, I get to talk, you know, about what I teach and who I teach. How, How was that conversation at home when you came up? Was that an ongoing discussion through the evolution or did you sit down one day and say, uh, honey, I think I want to, um, I think I want to teach. Uh, it was the latter there. It was, Oh boy. It was, uh, I, and it was well supported. And my husband's just been, Good. he's my, my biggest champion and biggest supporter. And I think it was more important. He saw that what I was doing in communications in the digital world just wasn't feeding a passion. It was feeling more like labor, and so he knew I was ready for a change. And I think he was, he wasn't surprised when I said it. I think it made sense to him, but he knows me better than I know myself. So he, maybe he saw that there as well. But I think the conversation, it would, you know, we had the conversation about what a hit from a financial it would be, but sure. it mattered more that it's fulfilling work Absolutely. as opposed to, you know, like you have a happier spouse, <laughs> you know, doing work that they love. So, so, so did, did you have to go back to school? to get your teaching certification? So I am in the midst of getting my teacher certification. I initially got what is called your your basic credentials here in California that allow you to substitute teach or to teach on a provisional, you're like a like a probationary kind of teacher. So I have my basic credentials and I'm working towards my credential, which is interesting. I already have a master's degree. I have a bachelor's of business and then I have a master's degree in science and an MS. And yet I'm still required to go back and get another master's, which even with all of my experience here, trying to be like, do I really need to go back to get another degree? And I don't think people realize that in general in the public, that most teachers you meet have a master's in teaching, that we've actually asked them to go get this extra education, incur this expense so that they can be the best for your child, that they can be the best teacher that they can be. And yet most people kind of overlook teachers as Oh, okay. Yeah. You're a teacher. Yeah. So, and then, and then also we don't, uh, we don't, we don't supplement that income to offset the expense (laughs) of actually picking up that extra, that extra expense. But, um, so, so what, so what subject do you teach? Do you teach a variety of subjects or? I'm all enclosed. So I teach everything but math. So I teach English, social studies. I'm at a Catholic school. So I teach religion. Okay. Um, Um, and I get to teach English language arts. So I teach their reading and reading comprehension and writing. Awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. What is your, what is your favorite part about what you do? Every day is different. I love making the learning come alive. That It was very different when I was taught, you know, I was the kid, you know, now we know that there are visual learners and audio learners and, you know, kids who learn best by writing or experiencing. And so I find these really fun and creative ways to help them grasp the lessons in different ways and telling them, it's okay if you fail. I'm here. We're all going to fail at some point this year. So make the mistakes now. And it's this being this non judgmental person who's helping, I'm hoping to light just a just a little bit of a flame, just a little bit of a flame. And I love that. And it's a, there's a whole lot of things I get to teach American history. So, you know, we're in an election year. This is just, sure. this is crazy exciting for me, 
But I also get to do things like introduce kids at this. I'm in middle school. So I'm, I use poetry to teach them writing. And at the beginning of the year, Shane, kids are like, oh, poetry. And by the end of the year, I even have my most reluctant students. They get it because in the earlier part of primary education, we teach kids these conformities, you know, capital letter, punctuation, make a sentence, write an essay about the pumpkin patch, you know, write this structured writing. And we've taken away the creativity of it and the expressiveness. And so when I tell my students, just write, they they look for me to give them those boundaries. And I'm like, no. Sure. So I take those away. And in some ways it's freeing. In some ways it freaks them out a little bit. Sure. But there's little things like that that I think, I, don't, I feel like every day I just come away with, wow, this is exciting. You know, Shane, I taught, um, they learned map reading skills. So, you know, latitude is flatitude. You know, just these silly things that, yep. you know, 20 years from now, they may or may not remember. And it doesn't matter to me if they remember me. What matters is that I helped ignite them a little further on the journey of learning. Absolutely. Because um, education is the one thing, it opens doors. And when you limit yourself, you don't really have those doors unless you've got other ways to persevere and find that. So I just always think about me in the classroom, you know, kind of kind of like you, Shane, probably. You know, you think about that one, you know, certain structured ways of learning don't work for all kids. And yet we expect them to conform and be in this box. And I'm like, God, oh, let's break that apart. Let's Absolutely. do something different. And I love that. And I have a really supportive principal who says, try it. You know, she's very, she's very supportive of my non-traditional background and very supportive as long as I'm teaching what I have to cover for the year. You want to try it? Try it. Let's see how it works. That's, that's good. Um, that's good. Mm -hmm. So what are some things you have learned um, that have stood out in a supportive way um, that maybe some of your administration or your leadership team that you work with, um, what have they done to help your transition into, um, you know, doing this? <laughs> yeah. And I think it's a leap of faith that they took as well. I think to look at somebody with my background and think, why do you want to come into a classroom now? And, and with their background, they know the challenges of teaching. So they have been so supportive in a couple of different ways and in, in many different ways, but I'll just highlight a couple. One, it's this trust that I'm a grown adult and I know how to uh, interact with children in an appropriate way. And so I don't have someone coming into my classroom observing me every day or every week, yeah, yeah. micromanaging. I don't have, my principal doesn't say, let me see your lesson plans. Now I say, Hey, do you want to see these? Do you want to see what we're doing? And she's like, you're good. You're good. If, if you're teaching, you know, if you're covering this, it's good. So I don't have this, make sure you get your paperwork on time and make sure I'm going to cross, you know, I'm going to make sure you're covering X, Y, and Z. There's a trust level that's there. Now, I think if I wasn't being successful in the classroom, they may have stepped in and said, let's take a look at your lesson plans. Sure. Now sure. I did have someone in my first year coming in about every two weeks just to check in and, you know, listen in and then offer feedback. The other way that they've been supportive is that every one of my fellow teachers is incredibly supportive. Like, Hey, you know, if I had a ridiculous question and the nicest thing, I couldn't ask any stupid questions. They're like, ask away. All right. I have a student who's not turning in work. I know what my instinct says to do, but how do you approach this? How do you handle this? And every teacher around me in that environment, because the leadership has created this culture of trust and this culture of, 
I'm here to support you. We're here to support you. And we all do it. And it's, it might be the healthiest place I've ever worked, quite honestly, That's in awesome. terms of, That's I think, awesome. support and trust. And, and there were no dumb questions from me. You know? So like on a fire drill, even those kinds of things where you think, I don't know, am I supposed to lock the door behind me? <laughs> like, you know, sure. those types of things. And they come forward and say, I don't feel ridiculous for asking those questions. And they just help me learn that system. You know, they help me learn about so many of the, the other things that schools do that we don't really acknowledge. And they've just been there to help me learn it all by, by saying, ask the questions, ask your fellow teachers. We're all here. We're all supportive. That's great. That's great. It sounds mm-hmm. like it sounds like it's a great culture. Uh, it is. Which, it is. Which, which is massively important, not just in schools from a workplace standpoint, but in in any workplace. Um, yeah. And and, you know, and, and you, you know, I mean, look, I've, I've talked to enough educators where not every place is like that. Right. Not yeah. not every you know, there's sometimes this air of, you know, like you said, micromanaging or constant judgment or. Mm-hmm. You know, compare and control all, yeah, yeah. all, all, yeah. all these, all these different things. So, um, did, did getting into, so you have, you have kids, correct? Yes. I have two daughters. Yeah. Okay. How old are and they? They're, you don't, you don't uh, one, one's in fifth grade and one's in eighth grade. So I've got tween teen, which is crazy. So. Okay. <laughs> so did you getting into education change your perspective on the education system and what your kids have been going through and maybe some different viewpoints that you have? Absolutely. Well, I think I've always appreciated uh, my daughter's teachers, you know, like in the way that parents do, like, thank you for teaching my kid. But I don't think I really knew the amount of work that went into planning a half hour lesson or an hour lesson or how on the weekends they're doing X, Y, Z or in the summer, you know, most, oh, you have your summers off. No, you don't. <laughs> you, know, you might have no structured schedule, but you certainly do have things that you need to accomplish and do. And so I think just the appreciation of what it takes for them to be successful in the classroom to teach my kids, I think it was eye opening. And I, I think it's been eye opening for my daughters as well, because they see how much I put in because I want to be a good teacher. Sure. I, I want my students to have a good experience and I want them to learn and they see how much I'm putting in. So I think it's made them even appreciate their teachers even more. But absolutely. And, and especially with with COVID and the, you know, sheltering in place and distance learning, just knowing how much more work that is sure. um, in terms of preparation. So it definitely yeah. was an eye opener. It was different from the parent of, oh, I appreciate it. I know you work hard to, holy cow, I can't believe you do this every week. Yeah, no doubt. No, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you uh, yeah. You've been doing this for 20 years, right? You choose to do yeah. this. Yeah. So like, yeah. wow. okay. I, 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 absolutely. And I, and I think a lot of times, uh, especially now, you know, it, there's been this big, um, you know, now, now here in Kentucky, um, we are, I guess we're open, I guess, mm-hmm. but it is, um, a, like a staged opening. I, yes. I, as, yeah. So, so, so we're kind of tiered into that um, small mm-hmm. gatherings. Now, I have a feeling coming. So the Derby was this weekend. Everybody, I know, having I get to, yeah. everybody having get-togethers and you know doing what they shouldn't be doing and not social distancing. And then we've got Labor Day weekend and the weather's beautiful outside. I think it's 
65 degrees this morning. It'll be, you know, mid seventies and nice. Um, you guys are getting a heat wave over there right now. Yes. Yeah. 108 is not really conducive to oh, grilling out. So. Yeah. And it's not normally 108 in Silicon no. Valley. No. So, no. Not even this in the really dead of the summer. It's, no. It's no, not it's, that. It's always pleasant blue skies here. So. And, and, and horrible traffic. Um, horrible traffic. And we have wildfires and, you know, yes. all kinds. There's always something happening in California. So, so, I, so I think we're going to end up being back. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think by the time flu season gets here and um, October gets here, I have a feeling we'll be back to some sort of shelter in place. Mm -hmm. Something. I don't know yeah. what it'll be. And, and, and that's a narrative that, you know, because teachers are the kind of the forgotten ones in the education system sometimes. And mm -hmm. It's, it's almost like, you know, you hear this narrative on social media, which social media is the toxic cesspool of the world right now. Um, you hear this now, oh, well, teachers, they, you know, they're lazy and they haven't been working and they, like, look, like I can assure you, my wife would rather have her students in the classroom oh, absolutely. than she would, absolutely. Yeah. but she wants to do it safely and she wants to, and you know, mm -hmm. so then they change this whole narrative of, well, to appease the public, even if you're doing distance learning now, unless the mm -hmm. governor says you can't go to school, teachers still have to go and teach from their classroom, which mm -hmm. is crazy. Like it's 2020. Yeah. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> right. Like, this is not like, you know, but yeah, I think that's a change. Right. So mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I think it's a change very much like where you live. In Silicon Valley, it is known for disruption of, um, you know, markets and mm -hmm. different industries and different things. I think that's what we're seeing because I'll tell you, it just dawned on me. I guess maybe I knew it, but I just hadn't processed it. So I've got friends all over the world on social media and I saw some friends in England. I saw some friends in Denmark and I saw some friends in Spain. They all started school mm -hmm. in the last two weeks and like their kids are all doing distance learning. And I was like, holy cow, like the whole world is distance learning. And, mm -hmm. you know, I believe in the next five to 10 years, we're going to be looking at an education system where students don't go sit in a classroom for eight hours a day, five days a week. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of businesses are going to go to a remote or semi-remote, um, you know, type yeah. of environment, unless you have to be there. Obviously, if you work at a restaurant, you have to be there, you know, right. th th those right. things. If you're making a car, you have to show up to manufacture sure, that car. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think some of these industries are going to change. We knew they were going to change anyway. It's mm -hmm. just a matter of now the acceleration of that change. And mm -hmm. um, it's pretty cool to see teachers kind of on the forefront of it because what will happen is teachers will adapt. Teachers are massively, so you and I talked about some stuff off, off air before we, before we got on about perseverance and, um, teachers are massively resilient. They, you throw something at, I mean, think about it. We literally teachers did not have any training to do online learning and literally within five days. No, and I don't even know if they have five days notice. It was like, we hey, had three, we had yeah, three. Hey, you're going <laughs> Monday, you're going home and you're not coming back <laughs> in the building. They say mm -hmm. it's going to be two weeks. Let's all use some common sense. You're done for the year. Yep. Um, and I need you to start learning to teach from home. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, scramble, holy cow, what do I do? Are there gonna be hiccups? Of course. Are there mm -hmm. and you know, 
instead of pointing out the negatives, let's point out the positives in this advancement of what they're doing. And they figured it out, right, Dave? Mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I can't yeah. even tell you the conversations and different things. Like, like they, they figure it out. And yeah. I think that's a cool part um, about about teachers is, is they're, they're massively resilient. And you kind of got a front row seat to that because your wife, you're watching your wife experience this as a teacher and you kind of got the front row seat to see what, you know, wow. I mean, I, we had three days in the spring to prepare, get materials to students at home and to start teaching online. And part of me was I'm new enough to, to teaching them like, okay, you know. <laughs> It's just naive enough to be like, all right, we'll figure this out. And there's going to be hiccups and there's going to be failures and there's going to be missteps. But we're going to learn. The good thing with teaching is they seem to, as a profession, learn from each other. The sharing in teaching is incredible. People say this worked, this didn't work. And it's also about in the spring, for example, we kept our expectations just as high. Now, we have grace for everybody knowing that this was stressful. This is certainly going to be an impactful life event for all of us, but especially for students. But you have to maintain that expectation of learning. And it was really interesting to see, Shane, how this national conversation has come about. Everybody has an opinion on, should we open, should we not open? You know, are teachers just being lazy, right? How do we keep it safe? How do we, how do we do all this? But in the midst of it, teachers are like, you can keep talking about it. We're just gonna keep doing. Yes, yes. And that's, you know, it's, you adapt what you have, but you still have to teach and you still have to have those expectations. And I know a lot of, I've seen articles that have said, you know, online learning failed, but I think we have to be patient, especially with public school systems where they have to meet the needs of a lot of, I mean, just, just an hour from me in Salinas, California, there was an, it made national headlines, two children sitting outside of a Taco Bell to use their Wi-Fi to do their work. And I'm like, wow, we live in, we live in California, we live in Silicon Valley, and how do we make sure the internet is available for everybody? Or how do we create some accessibility for kids that don't have that at home? And those are questions bigger than asking teachers to solve them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I so, think we look at teachers so, so to say, that's, solve yeah, this so, for my child. So I heard a retired yeah. teacher, um, it, it, there's kind of two parts to that. So I heard a retired teacher make a comment on a, on a recorded board meeting that I watched and, you know, some people brought up, well, you know, what do we do about the kids who are, you know, dealing with some things at home? Or what do we do about the kids who are getting depressed? And she's like, look, I'm a retired teacher. I did this for 30 years. You're asking a teacher to now fill the void that something that our community and society should be pitching in and helping in. Like, they're not also psychologists. They're not like, like they're teachers, you know, mm -hmm. and like, and then you have the narrative of, well, um, you know, I heard a guy at a board meeting say something like, well, even if they just get them in there, even if they're not really able to teach them anything other than, you know, the safety and, the, and, and the lady was like, look, they're also not babysitters. Like th that's not what this is. So it's up mm -hmm. to us. We have to provide the right opportunity and the right support system, you know, and that's the thing, like teachers are like this band aid. They've always been thrown and I mean, teachers are everything from a parent to, mm -hmm. you know, a coach to a counselor to a therapist to a disciplinarian to all these different things, mm -hmm. rather than teaching a subject or teaching life skills and these different things. 
And it, it, there's always this, all oh, teachers will figure it out. Oh, they'll go to school. Teachers will figure it out. Yeah. And, 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 and it's, and it's this thing of like, if we have to have a conversation that says kids can't go into school. So that's the reason that they're, ha they're having increased suicidal thoughts or depression or different thing. Maybe we should figure out how to put some things in place that are there, whether they're school or not, because that yeah. means we're that means we're void of some of these things um, and, and these things that need to be in place and need to happen. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Well, you know, teachers are front. We're front line with children. So we see the impact and effect that all this is having. So we're. For example, this year, I, we're weaving in these social emotional learning and these opportunities for them to express what they're experiencing. And I, I have to do that for the health of, because I can't you can't teach a child that's fearful or scared or so stressed out. They're they're just that pathway to learning is not open. Learn. So we'll make those openings, but we're not uh, we're the front line, but we're not the end all be all solution for everything as teachers. And that's, sure. I think it's unfair. Like you said, I think we have to look culturally and say, what else can we put in place to support kids holistically, not just in school. And yeah. You know, and for the people that say that kids can't learn online or make social connections, I'm like, listen, there are people that dated online, sure. you know, met online and have yeah. married and are successful. Yes. We yes. can handle the social online. Kids will find their way to be social. That's just their nature well, of it. it is it not, different? Yeah. It's not by chance. It's not by chance yeah. that we're in a, a generation where they're learning online every day, right? They're yeah. on their iPad. They're, they're playing YouTube. video games. <laughs> YouTube is their, their jam. You know, they, they like YouTube. They FaceTime. They FaceTime yeah. each other. They talk. They don't send text messages. You know, adults are the ones that send text messages. That's old. That's ancient to, know. you know, know. To, to kids. They, they FaceTime and, you know, it's so rather than, and, and, and I used to, I used to talk about this when, um, with my previous business and traveling around and, and I would tell pay, you know, tell parents like, and we talk about the dangers of social media and like, this mm -hmm. is more dangerous than a gun. Yeah. And when you talk about like, Hey, it's not that we should take all this technology away from kids. Let's actually educate ourselves as adults and parents, and let's figure mm -hmm. out how to teach them how to use it because if they're going i have a four-year-old he 100 uh -huh. is going to grow up in a world by the time he graduates high school he will not be using a pen and paper he will yes. it will not be happening right 15 years from now the paper industry it will have more trees than we know what to do with because we will <laughs> not be we will not be we will not be printing paper so yeah. it's in this world of let's provide what they let's provide them with the education they need. So to the other piece to this, and, and I, I believe this, I believe mm -hmm. that there's actually a part of it that um, there's things that they're learning that are far more valuable Absolutely. than the periodic table or uh, whatever. Because, yeah, the order of planets, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the, the, I'm trying to think back the Pythagorean theorem. Now, there you go. <laughs> do I need to know the name of it? No, I just need to know how to do it. Right. Like what, like what's the, what's the, what's the use for it? So in this, what are kids learning? Kids are learning how to deal with uncertainty. They are learning how to deal with change because the reality of it is, is we, and this isn't me being overly critical of the education system. And I think most people who will listen to this will probably agree. And they'll probably start clapping when they hear this. 
but we teach kids and we teach we the education system, especially here in the United States as a whole, mm-hmm. is a very fairy tale um way of aligning them up for the real world. Right. I agree. Especially the whole concept of teaching to a test. That's not teaching them. I have to teach you how to think, how to, you know, be a critical reader, how to, there's so many other skills. And unfortunately, because we've, we, we try to quantify education in so many ways that we lose kids and we don't prepare them for what is going to be a very different world. You know, it's, for, it's like teaching your kids to code. Okay. But that coding that they're learning is not going to be the same code <laughs> 15 years from now. We can't even imagine what that is right now. Right. We can't even imagine what it is. So how am I developing a, you know, a, you know, a smart child who can read and think critically, who can form their own opinions, who understands the difference between argument and debate, right. Who understands, you know, those types of key elements that will carry you no matter what the cultural shift will be. A- a- absolutely. So, so I grabbed my, um, I, I grabbed my transcript because you said something and I kind of want to hit on it because, um, I, I think it matters, right? You talked about, yeah. you talked about testing and, and what does, you know, it, it, maybe you're not the greatest student, right? So, so my, my background is I built an online business with the last $1,500 I had to my name and grew it into an international empire and all these different things. I use the word empire because it sounds really, really cool. And, uh, own it, you know, own it, Shane. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I'm going to give you a rundown of my performance in some of the relevant classes um, because I, because part of this as well is to say, Hey, I want to reinforce what you just said in a real world example. So mathematics, the highest math class that I took that I passed was algebra two. Okay. You're probably teaching algebra two in eighth grade now. Um, I got a 63 the first semester and a 62 the second semester. Now here where I went to school, anything over a 60 is a D, 60 to a 69 is a D, 70 to right. 70, that, that. So I took introduction to business, okay? Introduction to business, I got a 71, okay? Um, computer applications, right? Started an mm-hmm. online business, grew this thing internationally you i got a pretty good idea of computers 64 um uh oh here's a great one i do all the cooking at my house my wife cannot my wife cannot boil water okay (laughs) and she knows i say that she will agree with you it's um, all about balance in the relationship. You can cook, she can, you know, yeah. Something uh, else. Uh, well, yeah. So we have, so that's, so, so it's funny <laughs> you say that we have an agreement that says, Hey, I'll cook, you clean up and you put away. I'm not going to, and, and, and she has Greater. no problem with it. <laughs> the stress of trying to figure out what to eat. She doesn't want any part of it. Uh, mm-hmm. If it was up to her or when I travel, if it, if that we didn't have family nearby to cook and bring meals, they would eat cereal every night for dinner. Right. They just, they, they'd be, and they would be fine. They would love it right. and, and, and they would be fine. So in foods, I got a 33, right? Oof. I can okay. like, I can cook like we have, I can make home. I can just throw some tartar sauce together from scratch. I can throw like, I, I really actually cook. Like I can make homemade bolognese sauce. I can like, I right. can actually chef. I can chef. But- 
But on paper, you can't. If on I was paper, just I can't. On, on paper, on the testing of Shane Howard, there would be no way you would ever develop yourself into a chef. Correct. On paper, on paper, mm -hmm. I shouldn't be able to, um, I shouldn't be able to, uh, I shouldn't be able to run a business, right? Um, foreign language, I got a 67. I don't really know, you know, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be able to communicate with people in different languages, right? Um, political science, I got a 48, but I can, I've almost thought about running for city council to mm -hmm. win just mm -hmm. to prove a point because my, my, my teacher of political science was the former mayor of the town oh. that I grew up in. So, oh. um, yeah, so, so I take a lot of pride in that, um, mm -hmm. in being exactly what you addressed back before I started that is we don't know. I, I don't think you gave your husband a test or he gave you a test that says, Hey, before we get married and before we proceed in this relationship, <laughs> I need to know if you meet these certain requirements, right? Because the reality of it is if we did that, none of us would ever get married. And, right. um, you know, so, so, so we're operating in this world in this fairy tale of I've lost a lot. I, I have, we lose a lot. We don't teach kids how to deal with failure. We don't teach kids how to deal with the anxiety that comes along with that. We don't teach kids how to deal with people telling us no, right? I, I appreciate you telling me no. Mm -hmm. I sometimes now I have ADHD and I push boundaries. Sometimes I will, um, I will almost put myself out there in a way, mm -hmm. just the thrill of you might tell me no. Right. And, um, you know, we, we, we have to go about a different way. So like the things that these kids are learning, the adaptability to change their learning process to now all of a sudden start like my daughter came to my daughter very very smart she's in gifted and talented um she's in fourth grade and the first couple of days in distance learning so my wife's going to the school they're kind of doing a hybrid method or you mm -hmm. could do um all online so my 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 two kids that are home decided hey we wanted we we just want to work from home we'd like to do that until it's safer we, we just we, we gave them the option right like that, right. that that's right. up to you and she she comes to me and she's like oh, man i'm stressed out or i'm like it's just a rough day and i'm like it's not a rough day like it could be a lot worse so let's work through it she's like well the internet and the internet and we have gig internet here where i'm at we, we have really good internet it's like well the we need to do something about the internet. I was like, we don't need to do anything about the internet. And I said, tell me what the issue is. Well, I'm on there and we're on, and, and like, I just keep getting kicked off. And I was like, that's not your internet. That's your teacher's end of things. And uh -huh. that's what's happening. Oh. So and, yeah. In, in teaching we have, there is a, there is a mentality and it's, I think it's pushed externally too on teachers. We have to teach kids how to be successful, teach kids how to be successful, teach kids how to be successful. You know what, Shane, I also want to teach kids how to react when they're not successful because in life, life is going to, life is not like, Oh, I'll get, you know, I'll turn 16 and I'll do this or I'll turn 18 or I turn 21. And suddenly, you know, there's a rainbow with a pot of gold or something. I firmly believe I have to teach kids what to do when they fail, when they make a mistake, when they when they set that goal and they don't reach it, that A, it's not the end of the world. 
But B, this is how, you know, it's the question of how do you teach perseverance? How do you teach resilience? That we are at an unprecedented time right now to teach our kids resilience. You know, to well, teach and them. you're teaching them even yeah. like passively in your household, right? So, mm -hmm. so, so if you're constantly, you know, on high anxiety and you and your husband are having all these conversations that are stressing y'all out, they see that, right? Mm -hmm. If you were to talk to my kids, I'm very proud to say that if you were to talk to my kids, there is a part of them, they know what's going on, but they have no idea what's out yeah. there. They have no idea what's going on because look, we deal with it and we figure mm -hmm. it out. And, you know, dad has groceries delivered once a week to the house or, you know, we're not going out to eat or we're not going out and doing these things. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we just had to, so my wife's grandparents just had to be put into a nursing home two weeks ago. And my daughter is used to going, we had kind of created a bubble. So my daughter was used to going over there all summer and singing. Now it's like, oh, you can't do that. But there's positives. Now granny has other people she can spend time around. She can be social mm -hmm. and, you know, she can do these things. And it's like, we got to find, there's a, there's a, there's a positive in every scenario. And, and you're right. Mm -hmm. Like we teach kids in this world that we have to be like, it's a fairy. It's not, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. That's like, it's kind of like getting married. You know, right. you know, like find your passion and work your hustle. And it's like, well, no, <laughs> you don't even know what that is. Right. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And your passion. I mean, think about what you were passionate about at 18, right, Shane, or 16, you know, and what are you passionate like that changes throughout your life. There are a few people in this world. There are very who are called to a profession very early and a passion. My father was like that. You know, he was a fight. He when he was five years old, he knew he wanted to be a fighter pilot. He went and he did that and so much more. But those people are rare in life. And if sure. we're not, I, I think culturally we send these wrong messages of, you know, teach them to be, I want to teach you to be successful, but I also want you to understand that uh, when you fall down, you get back up. It's and okay. There's gonna be a, yeah. and, and it's okay. Is it fixable? Okay. If it's fixable, then we can fix it. If it's not, okay, let's, let's learn and move on. But we have to... We have to embrace, especially I think right now with what's going on with COVID chain, I think we have to teach kids. We, yeah. Deal with things the unexpected. Gonna, deal with the unexpected. Things are going to change and it's okay. Yeah. We, now you know, we learn that as an adult. We we know right. that, right? It's, it's kind of like being married, right? <laughs> Marriage is not what you think it is, right? When you're a kid, right? Yeah. It, <laughs> it, it's not. And even more so today, there's so many different styles of marriages and, and different mm -hmm. things, right? And, um, you know, in life we have to go through and we have to deal with the uncertainty of what happens. Right. It's, it's like having a kid people, when you, when you find out that you've got a kid on the way, everybody in the world gives you advice and they tell yes. you what to do and do this. Listen, I had my first child when I was, we, we came home at 21. I can tell you right now when we got in the car. And we were pulling off in my mind. I thought, what they're going to, they're going to let me leave with this human. Like, yes. I don't have any idea what to do. Right. And like, Google wasn't like it is now. So, I mean, now you've got it easy now back then. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. What, what are we doing? Like, uh, they're crying. What does that mean? I couldn't tell you. Don't know. Yeah. So you deal with these uncertainties as an adult but mm -hmm. the kids are learning to deal with them now. And, and I think, I think there are definitely some benefits that are, mm -hmm. that are coming out. I think stand, I think this will be the end of standardized testing. The SAT and ACT are going away. 
Uh-huh. And we'll see, and we'll see these different things going. Um, let me ask you this. What's one thing that happened in your first year of teaching and you were like, Oh my goodness, what have I got myself into? Did you have I, that I moment? Had, oh, I did. I, I probably had several, you know, okay. I probably had several. I had, you know, I, I have a wide variety of students in my classroom. I have a very diverse classroom. I, most of the students I teach are from uh, working class to middle class. They're not the, they're not, you know, their parents are the founders of Google kind of thing, you know? So that's, that's the part of Silicon Valley that I teach in. And I think the moment was I had a child in my class who very clearly had some, at least to me, some learning issues. And the parents had been advised to have, you know, test done and test run. And, and you knew there were other things going on mentally, but I didn't know quite that that was just going to be put on my plate. Like, okay, well, this is your student, so you get to handle it. And it's, you know, you you walk that fine line with parents of trying to walk the journey together with them and saying, we need to get your, you know, your daughter tested and we need to do this so that we can better understand, we can better teach. And I think that the level, the varying levels, I knew I would have different learners, but I didn't realize I would have someone who was a little bit more off of the one end there. And then trying to put in steps for her to improve, but knowing that I, I wasn't going to be able to move her where I thought she could go because she has, she had learning differences that hadn't been identified or at least hadn't been um, officially identified. And so I think that that was, it's a challenge when you think if you can just do this, you know, like just show me this and, and she wasn't capable of that. And so you have to kind of adjust yourself a little bit. I think that was a moment where I thought this is beyond my knowledge. Like I, this is beyond my knowledge of what to do for this child, you know, for this student. So I think that was probably a major wake up moment for me of when I, I mean, I firmly believe every child is made in the image and likeness of God. Imago Dei. And so I'm not going to judge that child for that because you never know what's going on at home sure. and you never know what kind of background. And we've had that conversation, you know, that they're coming from, but I was really at a loss of what to do, you know, and it took, again, I have you know great support from fellow teachers and a great you know principal who was like, let's talk about this. You know, what can we do? And what should be our expectations with this child, with this student? And that really helped call me, but, you know, coming from the business world, I'm like, no, it's a problem. I need to solve it. And I need to, you know, I need, I need to create a pathway plan and we're going to get this. And it's like, no, that's not how human beings work. You know, that's sure. That's not the instant result that I was so hoping for. Like, here's the problem. Here's the solution. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I think, and I think a lot of times we, again, it goes, we're preconditioned to say, Hey, you know, you, why aren't you fitting into what this is? So I think it, so I think it's really good that you're able to adjust with that, I think, and I think it's awesome to hear. And I think that's, that's a positive thing. And, and kind of what we want to share throughout, you know, doing this podcast is to be able to show people, Hey, you know, hear the side story of you have a really good supporting, you know, supporting cast uh, around you. And, um, you know, that matters for the teacher who is the 15th year teacher, who's going to listen to this. And maybe, maybe it sparks a thought process where they say, Hey, you know, ah, you know, Miss Jones next door to me. This is her second year here. 
I need to pop in and check on it. We don't really connect. We don't really gel, but I just need to pop in and just say, Hey, are you okay? Is there anything, you know, do if you want to grab your lunch and come over at lunch break and, you know, sit down and have a chat or, you know, if you want to, you know, let's go grab some dinner tonight and, you know, maybe just talk about it. Those things matter so that you can understand a little bit. Um, mm. Again, much the same as the kids, you know, as adults, we can go through that too, is you never know what somebody else is going through. Yeah. You you never know. yeah and I think we have to, I think we get in the busyness of the world, we forget and I think this is why social media too is such a distraction for us is we think that if I like something that you did, that somehow we've connected and you like, you really feel that as opposed to just reaching out and saying, Hey, can we just grab lunch or just chat for a little bit more? Yep. I just want to hear what's going on with you. Or I really need to talk through, you know, I don't have a clue what I'm, you know, I don't know what to do. Right. Yep. This kid won't and a lot, and a lot of times that's the best way to do it. Right. So I, I, I learned, I learned very early, in, in running a business and, and building a company that um, how I operate from a leadership standpoint is very much, um, I work for my staff. I, I don't like, I never liked using the word employees. I, I never used the word boss. I, ha I hate those, those terms. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was always about, I'm working for you. So if I'm working for you, I'm providing you with a consistent environment for, to provide you with whatever you need to be successful. And if you're not being successful, then I, there's something I'm doing wrong. It's taking that accountability from a leadership standpoint, something that we could probably use a lot throughout this entire uh, country uh, mm -hmm. in, in some ways. Um, well, I think you bring up a really good point right there. And I want to tap on it because you as a leader for your company, you remove obstacles so that your team members, employees, will come in place, can be successful you remove obstacles. And I feel like for a lot of in the education community, whether it be external to that community, we put in obstacles to letting teachers teach and letting teachers do what they do best. This national conversation about, should we go, is anyone talking to the teachers really saying, what's this like for you in the classroom? What's the, now I'm not in a risk category, but I have fellow teachers who are older or who have, you know, asthma or some other pre-existing condition makes them more risky. Are we listening to their voices instead? Everybody's externally placing their expectations. And in addition, we put obstacles in the way, like, no, I need you to turn in this before you can do this. Well, where's our trust happening? And how are you as a leader removing those obstacles? It's the same thing as teaching. How am I removing obstacles from any of my students so that they can have the smoothest path onto learning. And it sounds like you do that with your employees, right? Stepping back instead of saying, you know, let me add this all in, you're moving it back. Well, in and a, in a lot of ways, you're right. So it, it's, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the education needs to be, I don't want to say customized, but taught how the student teaches. Um, mm -hmm. You know, yes, students need to be in a great environment. The best learning environment is definitely in-person time with their, you know, with their teachers and those kind of things. But what kind of education are they really getting if that teacher is scared to death that they're going to get something and die? Um, and that's working in the back of their mind. I mean, we're not where let's let's be honest, like you're, you're not Superman. You're not Superwoman. Right. Like, let's like let's let's be realistic about this. And, you know, I can tell you in most workplaces, not just the education world, um, there's that mentality of let's be um, let's treat everybody equal. And there's a difference mm -hmm. in treating everybody equal and treating everybody fair. Um, yes. And and, yeah. fa and fair is, is, 
if you have a child at home who has cancer, we're going to make an adjustment for you and allow you to work from home and teach mm -hmm. distance learning. Mm -hmm. And if, and, and this is what I say to leaders about this, um, is if you're, if you have staff that then turn around and say, well, wait a second, what about me? Then that's a culture that you've created to where, because what should be happening is your staff should be coming to you and saying, if you're doing it right, if you're doing it right, your staff should actually be coming to you and saying, Hey, you know, um, you know, Shane over here has a, you know, he's got a child at home who's going through some cancer treatment. Is there any way we can set them up and, and allow them to do some of the distance learning? Because I think that like uh, it would, it would really help with the stress because she's coming into work. Like I know of a family here that, mm -hmm. that, that is going on and they were not giving an option to do any distance learning. And now they have to, they, they can't even go home because their child is going through some cancer treatment. So they're actually having to stay somewhere else because they can't take the chance on bringing it back. So now you don't even get to see your child at all like that. Creating that environment for that teacher is worse mm -hmm. than not having those kids in the classroom at all, because now she's carrying that with her. Right. Mm -hmm. And and we're all human and you can only carry that with you for, you know, you can only carry, you can only carry so much burden. I've got big shoulders. I can carry a lot. Um, but even, even Batman gets tired sometimes too. Yeah. You can't carry the load all by yourself for that long. I mean, even like you said, even Batman gets tired. <clears throat> Part of the, the challenge of right now is that we are so desperate to get back to a, a regular state, you know, to get back to more normal activities. And school is this massive component for it, especially for working parents, right? Suddenly to have your children learning at home while you're working at home, you know, can be overwhelming and chaotic. It's like, well, let's just get them back and then everything will feel more normal. But you know what? We're not at that stage. You know, the 1918 Spanish flu took two years for us to kind of get yeah. through. And yet we're, we're so desperate to fatigue, quarantine, fatigued, quarantine, fatigue, habituation. They were willing to say, I want you to play. And I'm, this is going to be sacrilegious because I know I'm from the South here, but you know, I want you to play football so I can be entertained and have a sense of normalcy despite your health risk. I want you to go to school, you know, despite the health risk, because I need this sense of normalcy because it's stressful to be not that way. What's the harm in waiting six more months? If I can get everybody to wear their mask, socially distance and wash your hands, we'll be all be back in school. We'll be back to normal. But everybody, we have to have a, you know, a cultural agreement that that's what matters. Absolutely. As opposed to here's, you need to go back into school, despite the fact that your child's in cancer treatment and, like you said, cust not we can't afford to quite honestly to customize education for everybody, but we can make more accommodations and make more shifts sure. than we currently do. Yeah, ab ab you know, ab absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I, 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 I've got a friend of mine who's a teacher um, up in Indiana, and he and I communicate. We've kind of been that 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 male mental support system for each other throughout this of hitting each other. Hey, you okay? You good? You know, I'm working mm -hmm. from home, just you know, trying to figure out a whole new career <laughs> and you know these yeah. different things and. And, um, you know, we, we laugh and we joke that there's a lot of people over the last six months realized how much they hate being a parent and realized how much they hate their spouse because now they're literally locked in the house yeah. and they're like, I don't like this person. I don't want to be around you every day. Uh, well, and you know, months in, yeah, the walls are going like, you know, the space for each other is smaller yeah. and it's, like, uh, it's definitely some a challenge. Parents are, 
celebrating that school is open so that mm -hmm. they don't have to be around their kids every day. And, yeah. you know, and, and that is, you know, you, you said it earlier, the teachers are frontline workers. They're essential workers. They are, they mm -hmm. are a part, they are a huge part of the economy keeping going, but yet we don't treat them or we don't compensate them um, as such. So. Well, we also don't have on the flip side, I keep waiting. Now Google just announced today that they're going to have, Fridays off. They're going to go to a four four day work week, or that's what their <clears throat> their PR people are saying right now. But I also don't see, and I keep looking here in Silicon Valley for these large companies or any company to step in and say, "Okay, working parents, how do we help you? We know yep. you have kids at home learning. How do we help you? You know, do, you know." And I'm not saying that companies have to take on the social structures of support, but why isn't somebody stepping up as a leader and saying? you know, more than half of our workforce are working parents in order to help them so that they can thrive as our employees, we're going to help support them, you know, by you know, being flexible or by providing equipment or whatever it happens to be. But I don't see any companies really out there leading yep. saying we're going to help our working parents by doing X, Y, Z. Instead, it's going back to working parents figured out, okay, schools, you figured out so that you can help working parents. But again, we create this vacuum where culture says everything to do, but doesn't provide that social support. I agree. I agree. And, it, and it's a huge opportunity for local businesses to really yes. step up and play a part in a great these communities, yes. um, you know, to do that and to start coming up with some ideas um, of how to, and I think we'll, I mean, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll see that um, it, it's, it's so, somebody's yeah. working on it right now. We just haven't heard about it yet. Right. Of that plan to roll mm -hmm. out in those communities. I'm waiting to hear those stories. Those are the stories in the support of education that I'm seeing in the support of working parents. And I imagine, so you said you have gig internet right there. You have, but imagine if gig internet came to its employee, its customers and said, would you donate, you know, $5 a month so that we can provide internet to. Yeah. You know, so, so, so absolutely. my community, so, yeah. so my community has done some similar things. So um, they have set up um, in the local parks, um, they have set up some hotspots uh, oh, wow. for internet so that for families who don't have internet or I think mm -hmm. for some families who just want to go sit out, go pull up their car and just go sit in the car and let their kid work and maybe yeah. have a different view rather than look at the yeah. four walls in their house. Um, <laughs> I know some of the churches here locally have come up. Um, and then what the schools here have done as well is they turn some buses into hotspots. Mm -hmm. So they're setting wow. buses like in the school parking lot. So then certain hours each day, you can go sit in the parking lot of the school and you can actually tap into the internet and, and, and do those things. So, and those um, are the stories we need to hear. And it doesn't need to come from the government, right? Yeah. It doesn't, because government solving something takes 20 years and it'll yeah. cost 50 times as much. But what are our communities doing to create this supportive environment for what what we say will will return to normal school. There won't be normal school again. Like you Correct. said, this has shown us that schooling needs to change. I know, for example, we have where I teach, even if we make it back in person this year, we have families who said, no, we want to stay online all year, yep. either due to health issues. And so I don't know there's going to be a return to normal. So we need to look culturally around us to how do we, how do we support our community because we all have a, a vested interest in having kids be educated. We all have a vested interest in parents, you know, supporting working families in this country. So they're not so stressed out 
so that we create healthy home environments, right? So how do we do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think it's one of those ongoing discussions that I'm excited to see. And, and I'll be, and to be fair, I, man, I, I feel for the superintendents and the administrators and those people having to make some of this, because you're not going to make everybody happy. Nope. Um, yep, exactly. Somebody's going to be very unhappy. Absolutely. I'm massively empathetic to that. So, all right. So we're going to wrap this up um, okay. and I'm going to, I'm going to end it with a couple questions. Uh, sometimes they are the same questions that I've asked other people. Sometimes they are more tailored to who you are. Okay. Um, that's a good setup there, Shane. That's a good that's setup. Okay. That, 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 that's okay. Um, I'll try not to get too personal. Um, okay. let's see what, and I typically do them on the spot cause I, I can pick up bits and pieces through the conversation. Um, What is one food item that you miss from the South that is hard to find in the area that you live in now? There's a lot. Uh, really, I would say biscuits, but I make a really mean biscuit. So I'm going to, but I miss really good biscuits, but fried chicken. I know that just sounds, I mean, that's so general Southern, yeah, yeah. but you know, just fried chicken and you know, like the Sunday afternoon, you know, tailgate, you know, you go yep. pick up some fried chicken kind of thing. So yep. I hear, I, I hear that, that a lot and barbecue mm -hmm. a lot, like a good, good, yeah. good barbecue. Um, yeah. I've, I've got some barbecue secrets, but yeah. So some of those I can kind of mimic. My husband's originally from Louisiana. So we try to keep the Southern food alive here at home, but uh, Cajun you food. Know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very good at it. So um, that is such a good question. You know, biscuits is always top of mind because you just know you go to different places in the South, you get different style of biscuits. So either biscuits or fried chicken. Okay. Okay. Good answer. Um, and now we'll go with a tech question. Okay. What is one thing that you had learned in your business experience mm -hmm. from a technology standpoint that made it easy to transition um, and less overwhelming into this whole teaching online situation? Wow, that's a really good question. I had an idea, but it wasn't on the tech side. So, because um, I, I think envision, I envision in marketing, right? You're putting a lot of yeah. slides together. You're putting a lot of yeah. yeah so like I, I knew I would how to imagine like, that's a transition that was easy to flow into. Easy to flow into of like, all right, now I'm going to be presenting remotely. So it's like in business, you do that with slide decks and stuff, and you get really comfortable with that. Um, I was very comfortable being on the camera, but not necessarily teaching. So I, you know, I think I knew how to use the technologies from business, you know, the Google suite. I knew how to put together a good presentation. I know what made a good slide. You know, don't pack it too full of information. So that probably was one. I, I want to add one more thing though, Shane, because okay. you triggered this thought in my mind that what I learned from the business world that I, I take with me here is that a lot of times it's not a talent gap. It's not an intellectual gap for a child or in, in your company, like with one of your employees. It's not a talent gap. It's a focus gap. And even more so with digital learning, the challenges I see with my students, it's because they're so distracted even while we're online, you know, even while because they've got, you know, the cell phone to reach their parents. So they're texting with their friends or they've got their game system in there. 
and I tell this, you know, I tell this to parents, I tell this to my students that it's not a, a talent gap. You can do this. It's a focus gap. Can you make 10 minutes of just straight focus time, 20 minutes of just straight focus time to get things done? So that's something I definitely took from awesome. my business career into this one. Awesome. So I'm actually, this is something I've been meaning to do and I always forget. So now okay. I'm going to give you the opportunity to ask me one question before we I get one. Okay. I get one question for you to wrap it up. I think my one question for you would be as a student, what do you wish a teacher or someone in the school community had done for you? What could they have done differently to reach you where you are at? Meaning not to move you, but where you are at, Shane. What yep. was something one teacher could have done for you? So that's, that's actually, one, it's a really good question. It's also really easy for me to answer. Um, and, and really, it would be pull me aside and say, hey, I can tell something's going on. Um, tell me, you know, tell me what it is. Like, like how, how can I help you? Um, and if you're not comfortable with sharing with me what's going on, um, at least acknowledge that something is going on and uh -huh. let's, let's figure out a way. I, I know you're not getting this. Let's figure out a way. Tell me what of anything we've covered. Tell me what is the most interesting part of any of it. And then start to peel back the layers. And, and, and I've, and I've shared this story on multiple different occasions. So, um, it, it, that happened, but not in that way. And when those conversations finally happened, I was 16, 17 years old. It was my high school counselor. And at that point it was a completely different conversation, more so pulling me aside and using language. She probably is not allowed to use and saying, Hey, get your head out of your hind end. Let's figure this out. Like you got to You got to figure this out. Like, what do I need to do to help you get your stuff together? Right. So in elementary school, back then they had erasers, right? So we used the chalk erasers. Yeah, I remember that. that. <laughs> yeah. So, something that a lot of people don't know is how they actually cleaned those erasers. So the janitors would actually go around and pick them up at the end of each day. And in the janitor's closet, there's this gigantic, I say gigantic, it's, it's like this huge vacuum. And you run it across so it sucks the chalk out yeah. of into this big bag. And then you go dump the bag. And I'm sure they repurposed it. I, mean, I think maybe even somebody came and picked it up like once a week or something, like a lot of chalk, right? Okay. So you would go and do that. And um, the janitor there, um, Mr. Satterfield, I, I know him just like it was the back of my hand. Um, he would come around every day, he'd pick up the erasers and he would pick up, um, you know, pick up the trash and he'd start to come around at the end of the day. Well, it was always a treat. Sometimes he would ask a student, Hey, do you want to come help me? You know, and you'd kind of go around. So it got to the point to where I was like, like at the end of the day, I'm like checking the door, like where you at? Like, come on. Like I, I need, I got to see if I can get in. So it became a regular thing for me to do. And it was an escape for me. It was like, Hey, I get, ah, man, I can roam the hall. I don't have to like, I can do it without getting yeah. in trouble. And I don't. So, so I did that. And, um, you know, we, we got to be like a very regular thing that we did. And one day, and I'll never forget this. And I tell this story a lot. Uh, he, he reached down he kind of put his hand on my shoulder. We were walking and he's like, you know what, buddy? He said, Oh buddy. He said, me and you are a lot alike. We ain't that much different. And he, he was a black man, um, mm -hmm. com two completely different backgrounds. Um, 
know on paper you look at it and here's this older black gentleman and here's this young white kid to society it didn't make sense to me it was no big deal um you know i I totally got it fast forward a really cool how that whole story kind of comes full circle um fast forward um, i played varsity basketball as a freshman in high school our only senior in high in my freshman year was his son jerry who we mm. ended up developing a friendship and and Jerry knows some of this story. I don't know if he knows, you know, all of it. And I'm sure at some point he'll hear as many times as I tell it, he'll hear about it or somebody will point it out to him. But that stood out to me. Very few teachers, because I was also the kid who would act like I was sick on a regular basis because I wasn't sleeping at night because parents were fighting in the house and it was just uh-huh. it, 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 crazy. Um, so I would always act like I'm sick back then. You could go, we had like a padded thing in the nursing yeah. station. You could go yeah, lay down. Lay down. And <laughs> there, I'm sure there's not an official count. I guarantee you throughout five years of six years of, of elementary school, I guarantee you I had 200 days or more in the, uh, in, in, in the nurses lounge, maybe more than that. Um, because I just, I would just act like I was sick. And th- so they had to have known, um, that something was going on it's like and it's not that they didn't i don't think it's that they didn't care it's just that like you didn't like it, they never connect and then you know maybe i'm asking them to do more i don't know like no, but, but, but out of decorum right a lot of times we say well we're just not going to ask just, yeah i'm just not going to ask but it takes that one adult like you said mr satterfield to just make that connection with you or did what i think Perhaps as Mr. Satterfield saw you, 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 Shane, you know, and acknowledged you as an individual, right? And made that connection. And that's like you still carry that today. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I've always kind of been that guy who, um, like, I don't, you know, now I, maybe it's also, I don't understand it because I'm that person who, you know, I've, I can recall driving down the road and there's a car in front of us and they're all over the road, clearly intoxicated. We come uh-huh. to a stoplight. I park the car at the stoplight, get out and walk up to the car and like, Hey, what's uh-huh. going on? I can tell you're drunk. You're arguing. I've taken the keys and thrown them out. And like, look, I'm calling the police. Like, you know, I've been in an environment where you see a domestic disturbance and some people turn a blind eye, uh-huh. get in the middle of it. Like, I'm just not a, like, I'm not one of those people who, um, you have to say something, even if, even if you risk embarrassing yourself, say something. Pe- people, so so part of my journey and my mission through life, whether it's teachers or whether it's kids or wherever, is helping give people a voice who don't have a voice or who society has said your voice doesn't matter as much as the next person's. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a big part about what I do. So I do appreciate that question. Um, and uh, you definitely reinforced my reason now for asking. I'm going to add that too. So you played guinea pig for a couple of things today. Um, I appreciate and, the chance. And, and, and I appreciate it. Um, and, and you've been great and, and I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I think you, you embody what we talk about here and that's accepting those challenges of, um, what you guys do as educators is a thankless job and you wake up every single day and you look at those challenges because a kid could walk in and tell you he's the greatest thing in the world, or he could, walk in and tell you the most horrific, um, scary thing you've ever heard come out of a child's mouth. And somehow you've got to figure out how to 
you know, uh -huh. make him feel secure and at the same time mentally process it and at the same time figure out how you're going to help. And, yeah. um, you know, we're, we're thankful for that. And, and that is a massive, massive thing. Um, I would, I would actually love to have you on later in the school year, maybe the second half of the sure. school year to hear more about how things have kind of changed and evolved and those kind of things. And, um, I appreciate you taking time out of your holiday to come in and, um, and, and share, share your story and share your journey. Well, thank you for for amplifying the voices of teachers and of those within the education community. It's certainly I don't think it's a challenge that's going to go away, but we have to keep picking up that challenge. I also would encourage for anyone who's in the business world who or who's thinking about making a huge career change. Just do it. The time will go by anyway. And life's too short not to just kind of follow where where you're being led. So. I agree. I agree. Well, enjoy the rest of your holiday, and uh, I, I appreciate you coming on, and let's uh, let's stay in touch. Absolutely. I would love that, Shane. Thank you so much for your time today. Awesome. Thank you. Right, take care. All right. Cheers.